Hey, this is Matt Markin, and get ready for episode 51 of the Adventures in Advising podcast. In today's episode, we chat with Dr. Tim Cox from Lafayette College, Jerron Scott from Virginia Commonwealth University, Dr. Dana Hebriard from Aquinas College, and Dr. Melinda Anderson from Nakata is back to guest host. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Advising Podcast. Here's episode 51. Welcome back to the podcast. It's the second episode of 2022. I hope you enjoyed episode 50. That was extremely fun and motivating. And we have an equally great podcast episode in store for you today. Let's get right to it with Dr. Melinda Anderson from the Nakata Executive Office back to help co-host our interview with Dr. Tim Cox and Jerron Scott. Dr. Tim H. Cox currently serves as the Interim Dean of Advising and Co-Curricular Programs at Lafayette College. He also serves as the Nakata Region 2 Communications Chair. He brings more than 13 years of experience to enrollment management, student affairs, and academic advising, and previously served as the Associate Director of Advising, Outreach, and Assessment at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Tim is a graduate of the Kansas State University Nakata Master's Program in Academic Advising and earned his PhD with concentrations in higher education and academic advising at George Mason University. His research and presentation interest focuses on how undergraduate academic advisors construct, negotiate, and navigate their identities in the advising relationship. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, great for you to be here. And also joining us is Jerron Scott, who is a senior academic advisor in the Center for Environmental Studies, where he works with students to ensure that they are successful during their journey at Virginia Commonwealth University. He is currently pursuing his PhD in Educational Leadership, Policy, and Justice in VCU School of Education. Mr. Scott has worked with local, state, regional, and national organizations to present workshops on biases, Myers-Briggs, and working with marginalized populations. He currently serves as Nakata's Region 2 Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Chair. Jerron has won multiple awards for his work, including Outstanding Advisor from VCU's University Academic Advising Board, and the Leadership in Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity Staff and Administrator Award from VCU's College of Humanities and Sciences. In his free time, Jerron can be found riding his bike, taking care of his plants and pets, and spending time with family and friends. Jerron, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. So with that wonderful introduction of our guest today, um, I'm just going to want to just jump right ahead and ask one of the first questions. So we'll start with you, Tim, and then we'll go with you, Jerome. Uh, what led you into your uh, journey into academic advising and into higher education? Uh, yes, what led me to the journey 13 years ago. Um, I have to preface this by saying that I earned an undergraduate degree in journalism and mass communication from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, Bill okay. Hills. Um, I started my career in corporate communications actually in New York City and working in New York and I realized that there was no passion from the work that I was doing. Um, prior to that though, I had taken classes at a community college. I had made connections with the Academic Learning Center. I truly enjoyed my time being in school and always thought that I would come back in some capacity. 
Um, I did leave corporate communications two years afterward, and I was looking for corporate communications jobs in higher education, actually, and found a admissions recruiter position opening at the local community college. And when I was applying, I'm like, oh, great, but I can use my corporate communication skills to spread the word about the value of a community college education and hope of getting those students to enroll. And while I was an admissions recruiter for two years, I also began to develop the academic advising role. Students were asking me questions about which classes to take. And actually, as admissions recruiters, you're supposed to know a little bit about the curriculum. You're supposed to know a little bit more about the, the concept of the educational experience at the institution. And so from being an admissions recruiter, having a taste of advising, at least in terms of the academic side and curricular requirements, I then transitioned to a student services generalist role uh, at another community college where I had a chance to do a little bit of everything. So admissions, financial aid, student life and activities, testing and assessment, um, and it, more specifically, advising. And that's when I fell in love. I was finishing my master's degree uh, in higher education and realized that I wanted a little bit more to develop my career. And I wanted to have an administrative role within academic advising because I was able to get the relational component down. I was able to get the conceptual informational. I was doing a great job, but I also felt that I wanted to oversee some of the advising practices at the institution. So I was accepted into Kansas State slash Nakata's master's degree program. And upon graduating, um, actually landed my first official position in academic advising at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County as the assistant director of academic advising and student success. Okay, wonderful. All right, well, go Cats. Okay, had to say that out loud. And, you know, recently we won our bowl game, you know, just had to put that out there. And, right? um, right? Uh, So thank you for that. Um, You know, it's just so interesting that your path is very similar to mine, majoring in mass communications, worked in the field and was like, hmm, I have a desire to kind of go back into education but then using your current skill set and flipping that into higher education. I was an advisor for mass communication students. And so kind of starting in that oh, pathway. And, and yeah. I say, listen, advising is in everyone's job in a sense. So it was it great is. to be that connection when I was doing those interviews. Absolutely. And I love hearing about the, the community college connections as well. So, Jerron, can you please share with us what led you on your journey into advising in higher education? So we all have a little bit of mass communications. I minored in mass communications and majored in biology at the uh, University of West Georgia. Go Wolves, the best go West. Um, but my journey was a little different. Um, I was a student leader as well as a first generation student on campus. And I really enjoyed working with other working with other students. I was a, a MAT mentor, which is a minority achievement program. And just giving back to those students just really made a big difference. And while we wasn't advising, we did a lot of advising adjacent things, even as an undergraduate student. Then um, one of my mentors said, hey, you know, you're involved in Greek life. Uh, you're a homecoming chair, you know, SGA government. Have you ever looked into student affairs? So I was like, uh, sure, I'll look into it. And I did, and it was the, one of the best decisions of my life. Um, I attended uh, University of West Georgia again for my master's, and I just knew, I was like, I want to advise. Once I started learning of the functional roles, I was like, I, I want to be an advisor. So my first job out of my master's program was actually in res life at the uh, Lincoln University of Missouri. 
So with, when I worked there, we actually worked with the advising department because it's a very small campus. And I taught a couple of classes for them. I was like, this is great. I really, really, really wanted to want to advise. So while I was working in North Carolina, I seen the position at VCU, which was calling for a biology advisor. It's like, hey, I have a biology degree and I have a master's in higher ed. I'm going to apply for this position. Uh, some months later, I was hired and then the rest just took off. Like, I, I love advising, just getting involved. I knew I wanted to be involved with Nakata right away. So I got us involved as quickly as I can. And just honestly, I, I love it. I've been able to present at multiple conferences, do a lot of different things through Nakata. But most of all, I really just love helping other people grow. And wh- whether it's students or staff members, just really giving back and saying, hey, this is how we can better ourselves and this is how we can better the community as a whole. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Cracking the college admissions code just got easier. I'm Rebecca Gordon, your go-to fictional college admissions counselor for the rich and famous. Tune into The Admissions Game, Satire Edition, and uncover my top secrets for surefire Ivy League admission. Ditch the old Photoshop your face onto a water polo hunk trick. We reveal all the latest loopholes. So laugh and learn with The Admissions Game wherever you podcast. Wonderful. Thank you, Jerron. You know, I lo- but first of all, the best go west. I love that. I know that your uh, <laughs> your institution is like, yes, represent us. Um, but I just love hearing uh, both of your journeys, because when I, I, I also was in student affairs as well. And so when I think about the pathways, right, in terms of, like you were saying, advising adjacent activities, and but both of you being very definitive about, I know it's academic advising, I know it's about supporting the student experience. And when we talk about academic advisors, understanding the lay of the land and helping students and supporting them in different ways. When I, I love hearing the way that you've worked in other spaces at the university and how it informs your advising practices. Because I think um, when we talk to administrators or when you're thinking about policies or when you're thinking about how that impacts students, you know, just your various perspectives that have come from where you've been on your campuses really informs that, you know, Tim, from you and admissions and thinking about how that from the front door, right, to the back door. And then Jerron, the way that, you know, from a res life perspective, I always told students, you know, if you don't have peace in your home, how are you going to do well in your classes? And then you being able to recognize that immediately and um, being able to support and assist students when they're navigating those transitions. And I don't even have to say chickering to, to either one of you because you automatically know about student development theory and what that means and how students show up and all that. So thank you so much for sharing. And speaking of that, like if we uh, go to Tim, uh, so Tim is in a way connected to the Adventures Advising podcast because he was on an episode of Dane's Desk who does our uh, YouTube channel videos. And so in that interview, uh, Tim was talking about like the conceptual foundation of where advising stands. And in a way uh, that he coined the term, I think it was intersubjective relative advising approach. I could be wrong. You said it. You said it. All right. Cool, but it, you said it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk more about it and, and explain that approach and, and, and how you came up with that? Sure. And, you know, I'm going to say that it's amazing how this kind of came up in our responses to the, to the first question. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so I 
certainly believe that all three components of academic advising are extremely important, right? Informational, conceptual, and the relational. But I strongly believe that the relational aspect of advising truly allows us to connect with students. This allows us to develop a rapport because a relationship ultimately is based on trust. And students want to be able to trust people who they can go to and expect the accurate information from them. However, we recognize, though, that far too often we have circumstances where students tend not to discuss their academic, professional, and personal goals um, because there is no connection, but there can be. And so what I've done in my research when I was in graduate school was think about how academic advisors work to connect with their students. And I say this because I talk about my advising philosophy with Dane and mentioned that my advising philosophy is fluid, which, and I believe that many of our advising philosophies are fluid. It's not about how we approach each student because there is no one size fits all approach. It's about our relationship with students and how we connect with each student separately. And so my research really focuses on how advisors, you know, we construct our identities where we have them of course, but we find ways to connect with students in a way to build that sense of trust. And so I'm speaking as when I was coming into academic advising, I took classes at a community college. I was a community college student. That was the identity that allowed me to connect with those students. Jerome was a biology major. He knew how to connect with those students because he knew the craft. We've all been college students. That is the main identity that connects us to students in most cases. And so that's generally what the intersubjective, um, sorry, Intersubjective relative advising approach is about. Um, now, I understand that we don't always have the same identities, but we do have some understanding of what those experiences are that students face. And so the idea with this uh, approach is to, one, introduce yourself, right? Build some type of rapport with the student. Um, open up the door. Second, learn the context of the student's situation. Is it academic related? Is it professional? Is it personal? Um, is the student experiencing stressors outside of normal discussions? The third one is trying to figure out how you can relate to that. You know, do you know other stories where students have dealt with similar situations? And then within that, letting the student know either implicitly or explicitly, like, hey, I understand. Or I don't understand what you're going through, but let me see how I can get you some type of help. But after understanding all of that and students, you know, seeing that they can trust the individual, you two can work together to, de to determine what the appropriate solution is going to be. And so that's what the intersubjective uh, relative advising approach is. Uh, I've coined that for now, certainly looking for shorter, <laughs> shorter names for it. Um, but I think that it kind of encompasses what we mean by position taking and knowing exactly what students are going through while they're navigating their educational experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that you say that, that it's fluid, you know, because it is ever changing in a sense. And also that we are trying to build that rapport with the student. And if we don't have that experience or have that understanding, it's okay to say like, you know, I'm not understanding, but I'm trying to, and here's who we can connect with. And um, a friend of mine, and I think I've mentioned too on various podcast episodes, but um, one of my colleagues said, you know, one of the best questions you could ever ask is, tell me how things are going on in your world right now. Mm. And to, to get them to open up and, you know, get more of that, that understanding. And it's, you know, and you talk about, you know, we have our experiences and, a lot of it too is just our, you know, we're human, you know, we're here to have that, that connection. And um, I think in a way it, it can also relate to, to Duran because um, uh, Melinda in Duran's bio, um, it was mentioned that he's won a couple of awards and one of them was the leadership and inclusion, diversity and equity staff and administrator award. So there's a YouTube uh, awards, virtual award ceremony. Um, and in that, um, 
John, you had mentioned that a lot of the connections for you was with your grandmother and had such an influence on you. Um, can you talk mm. about how how your grandmother um, how grandmother is an influence and how that connects with you with higher ed and advising? Yes. Yeah, so my grandmother, she was a phenomenal person. She passed when I was about 13. But in those 13 years of, of that, I've got to spend with her. And as far as I hear about her now, she was just always community centered and family centered. She would, you know, she would just talk about, you know, understanding people and, and giving back. She said, hey, people are different. You know, people not may not be similar to you, but always be kind to people. And that was really my biggest lesson that I took away is just being kind. And I think uh, connecting that to advising is just being kind to our students. You know, working in biology, you have a, I have students from zero zeros to 4.0s, right? And no matter where they are, you still treat them with the same respect and the same care that you would give all students. And that's that's really what she taught me was just to approach things with love and care. And, you know, love is such a strong word, but I truly do love everybody that I interact with, that I meet, because it is the most powerful force to me in this world, right? When you love somebody and you care about somebody and you want to be kind to them, it allows us to see them as people, right? It allows them to see past their flaws because we're all flawed, right? So, and it allows us to, to really just accept them for who they are and, and be willing to work with them to get where they want to go. Um, for example, we have, I have some students who are like, hey, you know, I thought I wanted to go to medical school. Now I want to go do something else. And it's really about, okay, let's figure out what else that can do. What else, what else are your passions? What else do you love? Is it, hey, you love um, riding bikes or you love, um, you know, reptiles. I have a snake and a lizard, but, you know, you love reptiles. Let's introduce you to someone who's doing herpetology or anything like that. But when you approach it with kindness and care, it really allows that student to see that as well. It's like this person cares about me, right? They, they don't just see me as a student. They really see me as an individual and everybody's unique. I really believe in intersectionality and multi-level intersectionality as well. And that just allows us to really see that person as, as a unique person. They're not just a first generation student, right? They're just not a, um, you know, a, a international student. They, they're a person with hopes and dreams like the rest of us. And no matter what identities they bring, we need to respect and honor that they're their own person with their own goals. Right. No, I, I, I love everything that you just shared. Um, and, and Tim, you know, talking about the, the piece of uh, just relational, right. Building the rapport and the relationship, you know, I, I just, I finished a, a workshop around DEIBA, right. You know, and when you think about uh, diversity, you know, equity, inclusion, belonging, um, and accessibility, you know, the one thing that I just centered the way that I thought about that is exactly what you both have shared. It's about the relationship of the person um, that you're building and the compassion that you're using to see that person as an individual. So, Jaron, can you talk a little bit more about how this um, um, your philosophy has shown up in the diversity and inclusion work? Uh, and the belonging work that you do when you're doing your presentations. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. 
Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. Uh, so really, it's it's about understanding that marginalized identities exist, and we also don't have the proper uh, capability to promote and, and support all of them, right? But what we can do is we can learn as much as we can. So one of the things that I really enjoy doing, I enjoy reaching out to people in those of those marginalized identities and saying, hey, you know, I'm doing a presentation on this. Would you like to collaborate or here's a chance for you to speak about this particular thing. Cause I believe if we're going to be advocates, we need to be beyond allies. We have to be advocates and we need to push that identity to the front. If we get an opportunity to use our platform, we need to use that for, to put another mar- marginalized identity in the front. Um, a couple of summers ago, I was able to do some work around uh, black lives matters. And what I've done, I reached out to an African-American woman. I said, Hey, this is, this is what's happening do you mind giving this presentation on this? Because you are this identity. I am not. While I can probably could give that presentation, it won't be as authentic as finding someone else in that community. And the same thing with um, LGBTQ+. Plus. Uh, I had some, I reached out to some colleagues that identify in that community and say, hey, you know, I'm an advocate and I support you, but I cannot understand everything that you go through, especially as a college student. So do you mind giving this presentation? So it's really just about, reaching out to people then when it's my own personal presentations it's it's really trying to get people to understand the uniqueness of everyone and how how we can honor that and how we show up in our identities how we show up for our students right and it takes a level of vulnerability right if if you know i'm first generation I, i'm i'm a dis i have a disability i'm an amputee right i came from a low-income area so it's really just about showing up in those identities and allowing other people to show up in those identities as well and realize this is a place of learning. We're going to get things wrong. And I think a lot of people are scared to get things wrong because they're Mm -hmm. like, well, if I say this wrong, then they're going to think I'm a bigot or I don't support this cause, but it's really creating an environment to where you can come together and just discuss things and we can learn. Right. I think that a noble person does not mind being wrong. Right. That's how I can I, I can really tell if someone's really serious about this because they don't mind being wrong. But when they are wrong, they take that information that they learn. Say, you know what, I'm going to apply that and I'm going to make sure next time I get it right. 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 Oh, yes. I, I worked with uh, Dr. Jamie Washington and, and that was his powerful message of when your positive intentions are true, people will see your heart. And if you make a mistake, people will know that you your intentions were pure. So your mistake is not intentional. It was not with malice intent. It was because you were trying and in trying, we will make mistakes. And so thank you for, for echoing that because when I have these conversations, uh, that is what rings true when people are like, you know, I may mess up, but it's because I'm trying to get it right. Um, so, so Tim, you know, when we were thinking about how your how your compassion and philosophy around work around diversity, uh, inclusion, and equity, and and belonging and accessibility, how it shows up in, in the work that we do, you know, Ron was just really echoing, you know, the intentionality and in the work that goes behind in terms of supporting students. And so I didn't know if you had anything to add. 
I was going to say, Duran said it beautifully, uh, which is why we're, we're such a, a great team and working together. Um, you know, I look at myself and just think about all of the identities that I have. Black male, 37, woo, from North New Jersey, first generation. Um, all of my identities matter. All of our identities matter. And I think that it's just so important to recognize that every advisor is approaching this work from their own different standpoint. Um, I like to talk about intention versus impact because that is a big thing, right? And so intentions, mm-hmm. you know, we certainly don't intend to make the uh, make the wrong mistakes or say the wrong thing, but we recognize that there are impacts, right, to the statements that, that we make and how we approach our students. And so we're learning, right, how to address those impacts, right? If the student is offended or is, if a colleague is offended, how do we address that to ensure that we're still creating some type of community where people feel uh, accepted and understood and supported. Um, I think this also lends not necessarily to the work that we've done in Akata, but also what we're doing in our actual jobs. I'm so glad to mm-hmm. be in my role that I'm in now, um, and which is why I've always sought to progress in the role because I've always wanted to influence the practices and policies that impact diversity, equity, inclusion at the institutional level. And so I'm shaking the table and uh, everyone at Lafayette knows that. But if there are policies, right, that are significantly, um, you, you know, disadvantaging our historically excluded populations, then we need to be able to address them and figure out how we can help those students, you know, achieve their educational, personal, and professional goals. Thank you so much. Now, we, we've talked a little bit about how you guys have worked together. And so I'm just going to put the question out there. You know, we talked a little bit about your your origin story, if you will. <laughs> As I think, as, as as I think about um, my love of Marvel. So when we think about how you guys have come from two different spaces, when you think even geographically, talk a little bit about how you guys met and how you guys have started to work together. I would love to hear that story. I know all of us. <laughs> can, can, I, can, I go first? Uh, <laughs> can I go first? Though I'm, I'm not sure what you remember. I love this. They're like, no, let me go. No, let me go. I love this. So I'll, I'll share the part that I don't think Jerron recognized, then Jerron, you can share like maybe the fun part. Um, <laughs> we met at the regional conference in Delaware. I think that was 2018. And uh, I remember it was a huge snowstorm that weekend. I was really deciding whether I was truly going to go or not. I had a couple of presentations, but I wanted to go, got on the road and made it happen. And as I was looking through the schedule, I saw Jerron was doing a presentation on overcoming biases. And so that was actually my first interaction with Duran. I actually sat in on his presentation and saw that the work he was doing was closely related to my research interests. He did an outstanding presentation and I walked away with a lot. And I think it's important to recognize, again, as a black male with my own assumptions, I have my own biases. And so learning how to address those was very significant. Um, so that was my first second and saying, you know what, like I want to connect with this person because I believe that eventually we'll be able to do some great work together based on that. Um, then eventually, I think that I end up connecting with Jaron at our hospitality suite, um, which was with our Region 2 crew. Uh, I love Region 2, R2. Shout out to R2. Uh, but Jaron, I'll let you handle it from there. <laughs> <laughs> so um, since there was a big snowstorm, the conference, it, it had very little attendance because of that. Um, Dover Downs, where it's at, very beautiful place. It was it was absolutely Wonderful. They they still get a, did a great job hosting us. Um, so we, you know, everybody was just in the lobby having conversations, and naturally you're looking around like, hey, 
who who looks like me, right? And I ran into Tim and we just started conversing. And from there, we talked about our interests and, and they really did line up. It really was like a perfect pairing. Then again, and um, then we connected again in um, Atlantic City, right? Yeah, Atlantic <laughs> City. I always, I always, <laughs> I always like, I want to say Jersey City, but it's Atlantic <laughs> City. Sorry, people from Atlantic City. I, I'm going to get it right. Um, and just really from there, just like, hey, you know, let's collab. We're doing a lot of similar things. So we've been able to collab on a lot of different things than both of us being on the regional board from Nakata as well. It just allowed us to do a lot of things to help um you to really promote student students first, right? We're both very student centered, and just really having a, having an opportunity to do that with a colleague colleague such as Tim, and really during his PhD journey as well, he's been a big support. Um, I've I've talked to him a lot about it, and as well as some several other people. So it really is just a really a great relationship. Like we we were able to collab and bounce back and forth. We have some upcoming stuff with uh, Region Two that we're going to launch after our conference and it's just really been a, been a great sounding board on you know on different things and learning about different populations and you might you have heard me laugh a lot and the reason why is because Nakata is such an amazing professional mm. organization and it's small enough that really allows you to kind of build relationships with some mm-hmm. really close colleagues and yeah. so outside of the presentations right where do you go to dinner where do you grab mm. a drink where do you mm-hmm. go to karaoke and so I was able to connect with Jerron and several other colleagues that way. Um, and sometimes it, you realize you have more in common when you do go out and have mm-hmm. I am blessed to be part of such an amazing association mm-hmm. because I've developed some long-lasting relationships with these people. It's always a fun time with Jerron and I. Um, it was so <laughs> interesting. We had went to, we were doing our presentation, maybe our final one of the day. Uh, and I think this was on assessment. And Jerron, mm-hmm. you know, was getting the audience, you know, um, participants to engage a bit. And he's like, you know, what, what have people been doing out here while we've been in Cincinnati? And someone said something about karaoke. And they was like, oh my gosh, I remember you performing, Tim. Like last night, I saw you like walking around the crowd. But that's what we do. And I think that really mm-hmm. allows us to not necessarily like connect as friends, but also as colleagues as mm-hmm. well. It's, it's the professional side of it, but it's also the fun side. Yeah. I would say uh, Nakata has been his home, right? I, I or I wanted to be a member of Nakata, but when I joined, it really is home. It is honestly my favorite professional association because it's so small. Um, it's still a lot of people, but it's small enough to where, you know, if you don't see someone for a year, they still remember you, right? We've seen, seen people at Nationals in Louisville that I connected again with Cincinnati, then uh, people at, at their different regional conferences as well. And it really is a beautiful association. Karaoke was really fun. Um, I forgot the name of the place in Cincinnati, but it was, it was really, it had, a, it had the word kitty in it, I think. Right. Um, so I remember, but it's karaoke place. That was, it was strictly karaoke, um, but it, it, it was, it was honestly just a great opportunity. And it, it, we ran into Matt randomly, just, he was sitting down and he was with Tam and I walked over and he was like, Hey, you know, we were like, hey, you do the advising podcast. He was like, yeah, I do. Do you guys want to be on it? I like the work that you're doing, right? So it really is just a, a beautiful space and opportunity. I love it. Yeah, it, literally, I was just sitting there. See us, um, see us in- yeah. yeah, absolutely. I was literally just sitting there and then um, they come up and we were just talking and talking about presentations and they were literally right about to go into their one of their presentations that they did and but they took the time to just like 
have a chat and we got to know one another and, and it was like, hey, do you want to be on the podcast at some point? It's like, absolutely, let's do it. So it's, and Melinda, we've talked about this too, about like the, the randomness of just meeting somebody and it's just mm-hmm. making yourself out there and whether it's going to karaoke, sitting next to someone, going to a presentation, you're able to build these connections and these friendships. But I got to ask Melinda, do you do karaoke? I do. All right, now. I do. Right. And you know what? And it's funny because I think about the Region 2 connection that um, is here right now. And what I share with Matt about being a former, well, Matt's currently a Region Chair and I was a former Region 2 Chair. And so when we're talking about karaoke, I was like, those are my people. Those are my people. I, but you know, I wish I could sing though. That's the thing about karaoke. It doesn't matter. And that's why I love it so much. People just want you to have fun and enjoy yourself. And I think that that's also what I love about Nakata. Like you were saying earlier, the community and you're, you're always welcome. And you're always going to have a community that stands behind you and supports you. So being able to pick up the phone and say, hey, can you help me here? Or, hey, I need this here. Or I'm looking at this policy, the crazy checks. I love my shout out to Faye Howard. When I was going through my dissertation presentation, I called her up and she really helped me through that last final stretch. So and, you know, I met Faye at VCU. You know, so and, and she was in region two as well. So there's all those things that, you know, just kind of you keep with you. And and I completely echo everything that you shared. And so I just hope those who are listening, who are members and those who are thinking about being members really understand that what we love about the field is also the things that we can do for ourselves in the sense of the community and the enrichment that we provide in terms of professional development, but then what we're also able to give back to our students. So I just really love hearing all this conversation. It, it really makes me laugh because now I want to challenge you guys to a karaoke battle or, you know, something like, look at your own laughing. Like, I'm serious. Like, it's going to go down. It's going to go down in Portland. So well, maybe, maybe even before that. So Tim and John, so Melinda has a plan to go to all 10 region conferences. So there could be a region two karaoke battle and then Uh-oh. continue it in portland in the annual conference in october absolutely i think um other regions need to do karaoke and they need to present the winner so in portland we can have a karaoke off so if you're listening from every region make sure at the regional conference you get some karaoke done so we can have a karaoke off um and the person who wins they're automatically the best advisor in the country <laughs> Watch out because I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you all. Oh, well, come on. Bring it. Look, Region 2 is in, in Norfolk, which is right in my back door because I'm in Chesapeake. So come on. Bring it. Let's do this. It's got to be I official. There, there's there's got to be a trophy at the end. They got to yeah. win something. Yes, you have to win something. I love that idea. Everybody presents their best karaoke artist. And what is the name of that show? I guess it was kind of like karaoke battle or something like that. We can set it up like that for your life. The um, no, the the mass singer is that it? No, it's like a you know, like what was the celebrities that were doing the karaoke and then they would dress up and everything. Yeah, like the, the yeah, mass singer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the mass singer. I thought it was like L. Cool J was hosting or something though. Oh, there's so oh, many. I don't know. I, don't, oh, know cool I think J. that was like a lip sync battle. It might be. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean like set up like that, like that, that, and then you can vote, and then they go on, and then look, look, we're gonna have to you know sketch out. Um, 
after the podcast, but I love this I feel, idea. I feel like we're combining all these like singing shows together into one. <laughs> but my mom does love watching The Masked Singer, though. I haven't gotten into that one. There's so many shows now. There but is. I love it. But Tim, you set the challenge. It's on like Donkey right. Kong. Me, 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 me. Let me get it together. Me, 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 me. <laughs> so aside from the karaoke, like in Cincinnati, you know, both both of you were were presenting a lot. And so you presented a lot together as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it would be great to to use this time to talk about some of that. So um, do you want to start with one of the, one of the presentations that, that you um, both presented on? Um, so maybe we can talk about the bringing our own intersecting identities and experience into the advising relationship, how that came about and what that presentation, what it all involved. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, and it's interesting because once, you know, you start doing the work, you try to figure out the best way to disseminate the information to the larger associations and eventually the institutions across the world. And, you know, obviously writing the journals is great and that's pending right there. There's some drafts underway. But I think the best way to truly engage advisors into learning how we can bring our identities and experiences into the advising relationship is to do that via a presentation. And so um, the fact that Jaron and I have done, you know, done similar work in the past, this was, I think, our first time that we actually presented together um, because he had so much knowledge about biases and I know that that's actually some of the barriers that I believe that we have when kind of thinking about our identities and experience and connecting with students. So it was great to kind of have him and add that additional perspective to the group. But our presentation was divided into maybe like three or four parts. And I actually used a lot of the exercises that I used in my dissertation, which was great. So it really wasn't reinventing the wheel, but I always like seeing the differences. And the first part was the who am I? And this is an artistic representation of how advisors see themselves in relation to their students. And it's so funny, the types of pictures that these advisors were drawing. Some of them were drawing, you know, balancing, you know, coffee, pets, children, while understanding that they have advisors on the other line. Um, We had people drawing like rainbows. We had people drawing ladders. We had people drawing bridges because we all see ourselves as significant into helping the student develop their educational goals. That was great. Then we did a deeper dive. And this is this allowed the advisors to really look at their identities beyond the big eight, right? There's a beyond race, uh, ethnicity, and you know, uh, sexual orientation, but really to start to highlight their personal identities, things that are visible and maybe not visible to students because we also connect in certain ways. So if I am connecting with a student who identifies as Asian, no, we don't have that same you know, social identity. But we're both athletes. Well, great. I can bring that into the conversation. If the student is saying, hey, here's what I'm struggling with as a veteran, then maybe another advisor can say, oh, my son was a veteran or my daughter was a veteran. And yes, I know what these students are going through and I can connect you to the appropriate office. So it really was about that. Um, I'll say that we did have the audience share their artistic representations, but we did allow them to keep the deeper dive separate because there are some identities that we like to try to to keep hidden. Um, But we also recognize that there are barriers you know, and some of them professional barriers that also have us brush those identities under the rug as well. And that was kind of our third exercise is really kind of recognizing when those identities present barriers or bridges to the advising relationship. And it really allowed the audience to ask questions to say, hey, I am, you know, a, a person, I am, you know, a, a white woman working in a department where I support black males. 
how do I get to them that I am trying to support them and that I understand them? It was such a fruitful conversation because often, right, we we have, you know, we, we put together these support teams and support groups and representation matters. I'm not going to deny that. But it doesn't mean that just because we don't have the same identities on the surface that we can't connect. Students care as long as they feel supported and understood you will develop that sense of trusting rapport with the students. That's what we really wanted to kind of identify with that. Uh, we had such positive feedback from that presentation that, um, and I don't want to like overstep because I know Joanna is about to speak next, but we're going to do a pre-conference where we combine the bringing our identities and advising to the relationship and the biases all together because they wish that they would have had more time. Uh, and it was that engaging. It was so fun because the artistic representation is something different that you don't really see in a lot of the um, the presentations, but also the discussion where everybody was able to be vulnerable. Um, we, you know, we were able to trust ourselves. What was ha- what happened in that room stayed in that room, and we were able to grow together. Yeah, I would just add um, with connecting with students. We often try to look at those big eight uh, intersectionality things and say, you know, I have this well of identities. I don't, I don't match up with the student here. And it goes really beyond that. One of the things I always tell advisors, ask them what they like to watch or what they like to do, right? I guarantee if you ask enough questions, you're going to find something in common, right? One of those things I ask is like, hey, what animes are you watching, right? If I see someone with an anime shirt on, be like, hey, you know, let's talk about Attack on Titan. You know, the, 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 the comic ended a little weird, but, you know, hopefully the TV show corrects it, right? And just really allowing yourself to, to do that, right? I have some like figurines and like you Matt in the background in my office as well. And it's just really about those small little things that students can pick up on, right? They feel a little more comfortable when it's like, Hey, I know we're both black, but that doesn't mean that we have anything else in common. Right. So let's find what, let's find what else that we have in common. Right. Do we like sports? Do we like reading? You know, one of the things I was a biology major, one of the things that we, I had in common with all my students is, I've sat in your seat, right? I've done organic chemistry. I stayed up for, seemed like 24 hours studying for, for these tests, right? So it's just really those small little things that I think sometimes we overlook. Yeah, and I'm so glad you mentioned that. And I'll, you know, uh, be quiet. But I think that, Javon, you hit it on target about how our identities and our experiences show up outside of who we are as well as also in our offices or in our spaces. So what does your office say about you, right? What do students see when they come in? Do they see the photos of the family? Do they see the Power Ranger helmet in the background and say, oh, okay, here we go. Like that is what allows students to truly connect. And so uh, that was the true purpose of the, the presentation. It was great. Oh, wow. That, I just, I love that. That's so powerful when you are talking about connecting on that individual level that you spoke about earlier, because it's, it's that human connection, right? And I think it is powerful that even if somebody was to come in the room and they see me and they think, oh, okay, oh, she's African-American just like me, that doesn't mean that we may have anything in common, right? You may make assumptions about me just based on the fact that I'm a Black female, but that might be the end of it, right? Where I might have more in common with somebody else, right? Just because we like similar things. And so thank you so much for expanding on that. And I, but I think it also goes back to the idea of asking questions, right? Looking for that and people not feeling it. I don't want to ask the wrong question because I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to come across or, 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 you know, do something wrong to destroy the relationship before it even begins. And so I think a lot of people are looking for how do I do that well in a way that I strengthen the relationship with my students and I don't 
you know, stop it before it starts. And so I think that what you're doing and how you're presenting it helps to give people tools and a pathway to get there because sometimes they don't know where to start. Right. And, and I just wanted to say, you know, to the relative part of this approach is that sometimes it's not about just the identity. It's about the human experience. And so we're thinking about sadness. We all know what that means. We know about grief. We all know what that feels like. We know about happiness. So share when the student is coming, coming to you with good news, great, be happy with the student. If a student tells you that they lost a loved one, we know what that feels like. That's the type of compassion and relativity that, that we're talking about in this approach because it definitely matters. And if we can connect with students on that level, it makes so much of a difference. Yep. And I know we, we all have appointments coming up and you know we were able to get this time in. And I know we had some more things that we wanted to talk about with, with this episode, but I think this means that Lynn and I have to have you both on for another episode later on down the road yes, if you yes. are both up for it. Always. Always up for it. <laughs> Sounds good. And then, of course, ho hopefully both get to see you uh, at the Portland Conference in October. So that's going to be fun. And if anyone's listening that they're like, I want more information or I have some questions or a comment, how can they reach out to you? So I can be reached at grscott2 at vcu.edu. Also on LinkedIn, Jerron Ryan Scott. Um, I'm a big fan of using LinkedIn for those connections as well. And I, I love chatting with folks. Um, they, if you ask a question, I love to just have a conversation with you about anything. Absolutely. Same with me, uh, LinkedIn. I'm Tim H. Cox. I like to use my middle initial a lot, <laughs> just to, because there's a lot of Tims out there. Uh, so Tim H. Cox <laughs> is how you find me on LinkedIn. Uh, via email, it's coxt at lafayette.edu. Um, and I serve as the Region 2 Communications Chair, so I'm also monitoring a lot of the posts uh, in our Facebook group. And so if anyone has any questions, I'm always looking at that. We're more than happy to connect. Sweet. So go Region 9 to for me and Region 2 for all of you and every other region in Nakata. So thank you, Jaron and Tim, for being on the podcast with us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And for all of us, right, who are Nakata members, we all win because you guys are amazing members. And I just want to thank you all for the work that you continue to do to support your students. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. We, I greatly appreciate, appreciate being here. Thank you so much, Matt and Melinda. This is exactly what we're talking about in terms of developing those relationships. We met once in Cincinnati and look at us now. We're already thinking about our karaoke competition. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We're going to make that happen. That's right. Thank you so much, Tim and Jerron, for being on the podcast. You're both so amazing. And thank you for sharing your paths in advising and also discussion about intersecting identities. And I'm so glad we were able to meet one another at the Cincinnati conference. I'm telling you, you can make lasting relationships just going to Nakata conferences. And let's really make that region karaoke happen. And it's been a couple episodes. So let's hear from Dane Zanowski from Temple University and see what's the latest with Dane's desk. Hello, Adventures and Advising podcast listeners. This is Dane coming to you from Dane's Desk, the YouTube video series on the Adventures and Advising YouTube channel. Just here to let you know that we have a new video from a good friend and colleague of mine, Kathy Choi, from Drexel University and their HR learning and development team. 
Join us as Kathy talks about the importance of professional development, which is definitely a subject near and dear to my heart. So again, you can find this video on the Adventures in Advising YouTube channel. Also, feel free to connect with me through LinkedIn or Facebook. If you have ideas about Dane's Desk topics or if you want to be a guest on a future episode of Dane's Desk. And also um, definitely check out the social media pages for Adventures in Advising. We'll be having a sign-up sheet as well if you're interested on being a guest on Dane's Desk. And as always, keep advising. Thank you, Dane. And check out our YouTube channel for Kathy's interview with Dane. And also check out our show notes for the link to sign up if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode of Dane's Desk. For now, Dane will be taking a short break from our YouTube videos, but not necessarily from Adventures and Advising. What do I mean by that? Stay tuned. And up next is Dr. Dana Hebriard. All right, up next is Dana Hebriard, who is the director of the Aquinas College Advantage Center and Career Services. A lifelong learner, she continued her education at Western Michigan University, earning a PhD in educational leadership. For Aquinas, she was a career counselor and director of academic advising at other higher ed institutions. In her current role, she teaches a career development class designed for upper-class students and also advises both students and alumni on resumes, cover letter writing, job search strategies, interviewing skills, and other areas related to career exploration and development. She also teaches in the Master of Management program. Dana works with employers to develop recruitment strategies and to help broaden the scope of employment opportunities for Aquinas students. She's an active member of the advising communities in Nakata, the global community for academic advising, and also attends NACE and Association for Human Resource Management events to continuously learn how to better serve AQ students. Dana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Matt. I am honored to be here. I love your podcast. I have it saved on my library, so I'm super thrilled to be here. Oh, no, that's good to hear, and it's great to have you on. I know uh, we were chatting at the Cincinnati conference, and we're like, we got to make this happen, not only to kind of get to know you better, but later on in this interview, we'll be talking a little bit about the Emerging Leaders Program, because that is something that, because this is in January, applications are already being accepted. So I can't wait to talk about that too. But uh, for listeners who uh, want to get to know you, what's been your background in higher ed and academic advising? Sure. Well, I actually thought when I was a kid that I would be Joan Esposito, NBC anchor in Chicago. I had in my mind broadcast journalism follow in her footsteps, you know, another Sicilian going into TV. So I went to Indiana University to the Ernie Pyle School of Journalism. And, you know, that's where my career and academic advising insights really began because I did two internships in broadcast journalism. And I realized, heck, this is not kind of what I want to do the rest of my life. Really, really, really was um, at a flux. Went to go see Marsha Denham, who was the academic advisor for the uh, School of Journalism back then. And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I am a junior, going to be a senior, and I'm really confused. And was so impressed with how thoughtful and she took the time to talk with me. Um, faculty that I asked those questions were like, huh, 
okay, well, you know, yeah, you're right. I always thought I, I, I saw you in education. That was actually a direct quote from one of my, my faculty members. And, and I thought, well, th- that would have been helpful to know freshman year, maybe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Not now. I'm graduating next year. Um, and then I talked to the dean of students. And I was really involved on college, on the campus. I was in a lot of student organizations. And then uh, I was told, well, why don't you do this? This is actually a career. And I said, well, what? this what? What what is this? And, you know, higher ed and the whole sort of um, student affairs profession, I didn't realize there was so much at Indiana University. I mean, George Koo is from Indiana University, right? Involving colleges and learning a little bit about the work that we do outside of the classroom and how instrumental that is. And and those were all the things I was hearing were things that resonated with me. I really like the one-on-one. I like creating opportunities for others to be successful. Uh, and so, yeah, I went, I wanted a different experience and I went on to Loyola University in Chicago where I worked in residence life and I worked at Northwestern University and their student union. And I got to learn a little bit about just the role that we play on a college campus and that the work that we do and the importance and how that matters. And so I just uh, fell in love with life uh, in in higher ed. And I know we've seen a lot of changes in higher ed these days, and we're sort of at a crossroads for higher ed, a whole different podcast. But I ended up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, because one of my coworkers at the time was like, oh, my Aunt Sharon went to Aquinas College. And she loved it. And there's a director of student activities position. So when I graduated from grad school, I applied and I got the job. <laughs> I didn't think a person right out of grad school you know, could take on such a role, but I did. And then I started teaching career classes at Aquinas because I think one of the things, if you're a listener and you work in a small college, you wear a lot of hats, like a lot, a lot of hats. And I worked, um, I worked it into my schedule to start teaching some career and self-awareness courses. And that just fueled my passion for that area. And so I went into career counseling and then academic advising. And that takes us to now. Yeah. And it's nice that, you know, you're using the term passion because it's like you're, you're doing what you love to do. Yeah. But I guess my question, going back to when your faculty member told you when you were junior, senior, I could have saw, yeah, I definitely would have saw you in education. Let's say they they told you this in your freshman year mm-hmm. when you were already thinking, okay, broadcast mm-hmm. uh, journalism. Do you think you probably would have thought about it more or probably would have like, uh, oh, education, push it to the side because I already know what I'm focusing on at thinking as a freshman? I think it took those experiential learning opportunities mm-hmm. to really sink it in because when you hear something, it might not stick until you experience it yourself. Mm-hmm. But I probably would have taken a class in the area and maybe explored that opportunity, right? Like, yeah. I think I took a couple of classes. I took a lot of classes in, in my 
uh, in my day that I feel like didn't really connect as far as um, journalism per se, but I loved them, right? I took, you know, jazz, history of jazz music, or I took uh, psychology classes, East Asian culture, because I stumbled onto a, a class I needed for a general education requirement. And all of those, I was a Spanish, you know, I took Spanish. So I did, East Asian culture was not connected to my language requirement, but I, I loved it all. And that's what I embrace about higher ed and liberal arts education as well. So I talked to students and I'm like, I still utilize some of those little tidbits that I've learned in classes that might not have fit into a category, uh, a box, if you will. Yeah. Oh, that that is 100% true. And sometimes just the random class that you, you take and then you can learn so much. Yeah, it reminds me of when I took a criminal justice class after I graduated my bachelor's degree. I didn't know what I wanted to do for my master's. So I was like, well, I'm at Cal State San Bernardino. They, we get a fee waiver for, for these classes. Let me take one. Took a criminal justice class. Little did I know, like one of the things that criminal justice instructors said in that class was with any rule or law, there's always an exception. And like that, I have taken with me into academic advising with any student situation or scenario that comes up. And this instructor ended up now as one of my best friends and is an assistant dean on campus that I connect with and learn from every day. So you never know who you're going to meet and what you're going to learn. Yeah, what a great insight. I'm going to keep that one because that that's so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's never, you know, yeah. In the catalog, we, it's always like it's one way or the other, but we, you know, there's so much gray area that, that we can help our students. Yeah. So you're at Aquinas College uh, to, to help listeners. Uh, how would you describe uh, your institution? Yeah. Well, Aquinas College in Grand Rapids, Michigan is an inclusive educational community rooted in the Catholic Dominican tradition. So that liberal arts, as I mentioned, curriculum, Global's perspective, we have a number of study away opportunities and emphasis on career preparation is in the mission and focus kind of on that leadership service to others. The Dominican sisters are very much still a part of the campus. So you definitely feel that sort of social justice and the influences of their uh, tenants on campus. And then the Advantage Center you know, that sort of experiential learning center supports student research, career-related activities such as internships or um, career kind of curricular experiences uh, and kind of that strategic goal of aligning advising and career services and academic affairs to sort of effectively support students in their uh, self-discovery. Nice. And then you mentioned like career and you're the director of the Advantage Center and Career Services. So can you tell us more? Because you were talking about uh, some of the classes that, that you also teach. We can tell us more about your role and what that all entails. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned, lots of different hats. Yeah. So, <laughs> so any day could look a little different. Um, and especially for all of us, I would say. Uh, after the pandemic, I think we've all taken on well, we're it's not after the we're still in it, right? And right. we're all we're all just each day, you know, strapping in. I used that phrase this morning in a one-on-one meeting. I'm like, I just buckle my seatbelt and strap in. Who knows what today will bring? So 
as of today, as of today, you know, I teach that career development class designed for upper level students to advise uh, them. It's sort of like a life after Aquinas boot camp, if you will. And that's how we promote it and tout it to students that it's all of the things you really should be doing. But unless you're in a cohort, you don't often do, right? It's like weight loss. If you have a cohort of people that you go to the gym with, you're more likely to go. And so the students learn professional etiquette, uh, financial literacy, they, you know, LinkedIn, personal branding, all of those different things, but also just a making sense of what your interests and your passions, what brings you joy, meaning, and purpose in life. So we talk a little bit about that as well. And we also put on events. So we have, you know, career events, a couple of signature ones, like we're the saints. So we have the saint to saint networking event where we connect alumni and students and get you practice their networking skills. And we also have, again, Take a Saint to Work, uh, where we do job shadowing experience. It's not necessarily, um, you know, in person these days, we've been doing it via Zoom. So technology has been a great influencer, I think, so we could continue to offer those same types of services. And then I have a lot of one-on-one appointments, right? I have one-on-one appointments with uh, alumni or with students who are just looking for someone to help them sort of navigate their their own journey. Yeah, so definitely, yeah, like you're saying, any day could just be some, something different, whether you're meeting with someone who's starting out at the institution, someone that's about yeah. to graduate, someone that has already graduated, whether it's an appointment, then you have the, the workshops, you have the class. And with the class, is it do yeah. they receive units for this? And does it count towards like units yeah. for electives for graduation? Yeah. Well, we have right now at Aquinas one credit uh, that is required for graduation. It's our oh, career yeah. and self-awareness course. And then the other courses that I mentioned, some majors might have an internship requirement. Others have it as encouraged. Uh, And then the class that I was mentioning, that sort of life after Aquinas course is an elective credit. Mm -hmm. So they're all, and we have classes uh, in our program, in our career development uh, area that range from, you know, one to three Students could take up to 12 credit hours of internship class. We also have a course that's three credits on um, where we pair a student with a mentor from our Osher Lifelong Learning Institute that's on campus. And that's actually been phenomenal. It's the third year now that we're doing that and just looking at students and then having them paired with, you know, individuals in that third half of their life. We call it generation swap. And so the whole class is centered around that mentor pairing. So we do a lot of those little things. We also work with faculty and uh, connect them, whether it's working with how do they incorporate those engaged learning opportunities in the classroom or in their class. We do a lot of workshops in, you know, go into other faculties' classes to do presentations. So uh, definitely, a great group that I work with and I, yeah, we have fun doing it. 
Awesome. And you mentioned mentor pairing, and we'll be talking a little bit about that uh, within Nakata. But with the, I guess, with your advice, generally speaking, you know, advisors sometimes when we try to navigate helping students with, with maybe going to career services or their career center, we don't know much, you know, and, and we're always looking for how can we also give some information to our students. So do you have any advice for to help advisors like for when students first start at an institution? A lot of times we hear like it's never too early to go to your career services or go to your career center. Um, any advice for advisors to help with their students in terms of like when they talk with their students about this is maybe what you should do like each year that that you're on the campus or what service you, you should use. Any advice with that? Yes, for sure. I am also a part of, so, you know, big fan of Nakata and we do have a career advising group in Nakata and we talk about that. How do we embed individual career conversations or sort of that design of uh, career conversations in campus environments. So sort of creating the culture because academic advising and career conversations uh, can really support and I think um, uh, in value, you know, there's value in having those hand in hand. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, George Steele has done a lot of work on flipped advising and we've talked a, a little bit and actually he's, George is doing a podcast for the career advising group um, in March. I shouldn't say podcast. It's just a, a online conversation. So let's rephrase <laughs> that because we can't call it a podcast, yeah. but an online conversation about that and how to incorporate those two um, things together. And, I, you know, networking those opportunities or how to have like ask the right questions, ask the um, big questions. So, you know, how does that experience, how does this fit with your experience? Or, you know, when you think about your corruptions, what factors seem most important to you? Or, um, you know, what traits are reflected in a, you know, your response or in your classroom, you know, what are some of the things that uh, other people experience about you? I mean, I'm just, those are just different types of questions an academic advisor could incorporate into their advising. Um, you know, what career paths will best allow you to be who you are? I mean, even something like that gives students or, you know, the agency to have that conversation in their advising appointment. Good advice. And maybe you can transition it to maybe even with Nakata members or advising mm -hmm. professionals in the sense that, you know, you work with both students and alumni. And do you have any tips for Nakata members or advising professionals in general with, with networking, you know, whether it's online or at a conference? Because we hear that a lot, right? Like, go network. And some might think like, I'm too nervous to go up to someone, or I don't even know how to even start that conversation or what, what should I say? What should I ask? What's the first step? Yeah. And any thoughts on that? Yeah. So how I got into Nakata actually was when I, when I became the director of academic advising uh, at the, my former institution, um, and that was actually really a sense of, you know, organizations, not all organizations have career ladders where you become, you know, an assistant, an associate, a director, a senior director. Larger institutions might have that. Smaller institutions can often be really flat, right? Like this is the role. And until someone retires or leaves, that's the role you're in. And 
small schools a lot of times are in that sort of confined structure. And the director of academic advising at the time was retiring. And so my boss, who's actually become, you know, a mentor to me, I still talk with him and visit him. He comes to my office even now, even though he's long since retired. You know, Glenn said to me, well, this could be your one chance to, if you want that director title or role to do it. And I think I see a lot of connection between career. I was a career counselor at the time to academic advising. So applied for it, you know, um, that role though, I didn't really know a lot about academic advising. I knew a lot about higher ed or about student development theories and career development theories, but not necessarily about advising. So first thing I did was I reached out to uh, Moral Reynolds, who actually was a member of NACADA for a long time, was the director of academic advising at an institution close to uh, Hope College. She was at Hope College and close to where I am. And she was so gracious, so gracious about meeting me. She invited me to come to their offices. And I think my advice to anybody would be just ask, Mm -hmm. just pick up the phone, send an email, reach out. You know, maybe a person might not have the time or the space to to do what Laura did and invite me to come to meet. But everyone has in today's landscape a phone call, a quick chat, a quick Zoom, just even that is is super helpful. I also think, you know, we all might not have the budgets to get to conferences. So anything that you could do locally, whether it's connecting with individuals from other local institutions and creating your own sort of coffee conversation or just career conversation has been uh, helpful for us. You know, we work a lot with our regional area schools and it's great to pick up the phone or just send an email. Like, are you all, this is something we're dealing with. Nakata has some great listservs. So being a member of Nakata, I think is instrumental to just then utilize those listservs to say, hey, this is happening um, at our institution. What are you all experiencing and any advice? And I think that people are very willing to offer uh, their own thoughts and insights if you just put it out there. Yeah, and I agree with those listeners. Like you'll see someone will say, hey, I have this question. I'm working on this project or I just got tasked with this initiative. And it's almost just immediate. You start seeing responses about, well, at our institution, here's what we do. And we've done X, Y, and Z. Let me know if you have any questions. And it's very much it lot of people are willing to to share. I think if we're in the field of supporting students and supporting student success, uh, then the information isn't proprietary information, right? Like I want Aquinas College students to be successful, to graduate, to go on to live fulfilled lives. I also want, you know, University of California students to go on and be successful and graduate and live fulfilled lives. And so, In that sense, you know, whether it is a new program initiative or something that we're doing, it's my opinion to be shared, right? So we're, we, in the end, all want the same thing. We want students to find a place of belonging. We want them to be successful and we want 
that to then carry on and and contribute to the greater good of society. So in the end, we are all working towards the same goal. Yeah, 1000% agree. Now you've talked a little bit about your how you got involved with Nakata, a couple of things that, that you've done. Can you talk more about things, other things that you've done within Nakata and also how that connects to um, how you got involved in the Emerging Leaders Program? Sure. So Maura Reynolds, as I mentioned, was actually the chair of the Small Colleges and Universities Advising Community. So that was a community that really I found my people when I went to Nakata. I mean, as a person who is representing a small college, you're oftentimes going to a national conference by yourself, right? They only maybe send one or two people if that. So it's a little, it is, I totally, and I am a very extroverted individual by nature. So, but I have individuals in my family who are not, um, The book Quiet is a great book. I have referenced it many times in my own personal life because sometimes I don't understand when my twin boys might say something to me. I'm like, why don't you just go ask them? So I I definitely want to say that and get that out there because I I, I want to make sure that individuals don't listen to this and are like, well, that person, yes, yeah. (laughs) So that being said, uh, small colleges don't have this group um, that are attending maybe large events. So I had to find my people, people to have lunch with, people to have, you know, conversations with about sessions and the small college and universities group. I went to one of their business meetings and I met people and, you know, it was advice that Maura had given me, like, this is a great group to be a part of. So listening to her advice, I went and then I got involved and then I became the chair of the small college and universities. And, then tapped other people to think about leadership roles. And then that just basically snowballed into getting involved. So once you sort of put yourself out there, find that one place that you are uh, connected to, whether by interest area or by population, then make sure to take the time to, you know, step out of that comfort zone. And that's where change occurs, right? Change occurs outside of your comfort zone. Oh, yeah. 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 And it. I think for me, it was one where I got involved with some of the advising communities of the ones that I connected with because of the work I do at my institution. And then from there, kind of explored, okay, these are some of my other interests in advising that also Nakata has that I may not directly do in my position, but I'm really interested in it and get to meet all these new people, which I think is really great. Yeah. And then listen, so one of my now, I would say friends, Shannon Burton was on the board of Nakata MSU. So oftentimes I would tag on, you know, that's like an hour away from where I live. So tag on to my large school friends to, you know, ride share or uh, share rooms when costs are, are an issue. And it was great to have individuals to also say, have you thought about the, uh, the community on philosophy, history, and theory. I think you'd get a lot out of that. And I hadn't, but attending those that might not exactly fit that niche of yours also Mm -hmm. led to huge self-discoveries, knowledge, insights, and also 
meeting amazing people. Yeah. And then end up being like friends and in a way kind of family as well. Mm -hmm. And so in one of those other things you've done with the Nakados being part of the Emerging Leaders Program, and we've had many guests on who've been part of EOP, whether they've been an emerging leader or they've been a mentor. And I think it's a fantastic program. I've gone through the program as well. And if you're listening to this in January or later on in February, the beginning of March, applications are still being accepted for this program. But I guess for you, in your own words, how would you describe the Emerging Leaders Program? Mm -hmm. It was a phenomenal experience. And I was never a mentee in the Emerging Leaders Program, but I, not that I didn't want to be, but I, I at the point in my career, I was asked, you know, have you considered being a part of the mentor side? And mm -hmm. I would say that whether you apply to be a mentor or apply to be a mentee, you're both learning from each other. So I want to say that right off the bat, that I got as much out of the experience or even more so out of the experience. I think the Emerging Leaders Program is really an opportunity to encourage members, Nakata members, to get involved in opportunities with the, within the institution. And of course, like the the especially getting diverse groups of individuals who might not have had the Moore Reynolds or the Shannon Burtons that I just mentioned, you know, in their backyards involved. So applying for that in kind of taking the time, you know, helps to develop maybe skills and tools necessary to pursue elected positions or encourage or assist members of, you know, pop populations who might be underrepresented in the association's leadership to attend state or regional annual conferences because there is a little bit of financial assistance for the mentees to be a part of, you know, towards expenses related to attending the events, which is, is wonderful. And I think uh, the conversations really are meant to go where the mentee wants them to go. So whether it's, you know, uh, for for me, so I was paired actually with someone who is at Michigan State. We didn't know each other. We thought we would have a lot more opportunities to have in person. We will at one point in time, but we only met once in person outside of the conferences before, uh, you know, COVID happened. And so Danielle Lopez and I, you know, met throughout the course of the official ELP program. And we talked about personal goals of, of Danielle's within Nakata, as well as personal goals or professional goals within her, you know, career, both working parents, you know, so creating that supportive listening ear as navigating all of those challenges, having had the opportunity to also say, I get that. I, you know, I yeah, experienced that too. Um, fun fact, we, I don't think it was known at the time of the pairing, but we're both the, the moms of all boys. So that was a fun thing to have in common and yep. know about, right. Uh, it's own little world. So, you know, for, for, uh, my mentee, it was just uh, exciting to hear the journey. And I felt blessed um, to just help her navigate, well, here's these options that I can get involved with. You know, this is what I'm thinking, asking those curious questions, right? Being more, yes, 
curious and and listening more and kind of talking about, you know, having her talk a little bit about what um, what she sees as her future. So it was definitely a two way, though, conversation, because I would also share my challenges as well. Well, here's what I'm thinking or I'm challenged right now with what do you think? And so we helped each other as much. Um, it's not a one-way street at all, the ELP program. So I would say for anybody listening who is an ACADA, first become an ACADA member and then think about looking into applying to be an emerging leader. Yeah. And I think people listening right now are probably like, that actually sounds really nice. And I'd really like to be a part of it. So it's good that you're mentioning that like, if someone is thinking, oh, I would want to be a mentor, but I was never in the Emerging Leaders Program. That's fine. You don't have to have already been in the program to be a mentor. Um, and then anyone that wants to think about being an emerging leader, uh, also, you know, we use leader and mentee interchangeably here. They do get some sort of incentive uh, to be able to attend like conferences. But then also, I think one of the misconceptions when someone hears the, the term leader they might think, oh, it's only if I want to be like a president or some elected position. But Nakata actually looks at the leader definition in very broad terms, correct? Holistically, yeah. right? You can mm-hmm. be a leader and not have to be a, a executive board member, right? A leader is someone who might be a prolific writer. So perhaps there's an individual out there that is, I really have a lot of things that I want to say and I want to write and improve my craft in that way. And pairing with somebody who is a member of Nakata who might be able to then um, read or provide maybe connections, right? Uh, Individuals uh, that might be able to connect with whether it's the Nakata Journal or Advising Today or whatever uh, publication that we offer, you know, those sorts of things. I think that was one of the goals, you know, Danielle was working on her PhD while we were in the, the, crux of the mentor-mentee relationship. And we still talk now, even though officially our connection, you know, has ended according to Nagata. You never ends. It never, that relationship doesn't just disappear, right? And so through our peer, that period, you know, we made connections in certain ways as far as being, um, so writing would be another area or even just uh, if you want to focus more regionally or statewide. We, I, I know one of your most recent podcasts was with Chris talking about regional conferences, sure. right? Yep. So those are also great ways to get involved and to be maybe it's uh, presenting some uh, you at a local or regional or, or annual conference and all of those things, I think, are uh, super valuable. And I think one of the biggest takeaways for the ELP is just having someone that you can uh, ask questions in a safe space. Right. And also networking. I don't want to use the word networking in a sort of, uh, I don't know, um, 
who do you know way, but in networking in the sense of, you know, have you talked to, if you're working with somebody, I think for me, one of the biggest values is when someone says to me, so I try to do it to others is, uh, what you're saying sounds really interesting. Have you talked to Matt? You should talk to right, Matt yeah. because Matt is doing exceptional work in this area. And let me introduce you. And if I can make that email introduction, I think that is a good start. You know, then you have to take it from there, but mm-hmm. you just need that individual to help you. I read a book once. Um, you don't need a mentor. You need a sponsor. And okay. <laughs> It's a great little book. We use it in in our. I use a chapter about it in our class, and the whole the whole of it was um, mentoring is great because it's listening and it's hearing what you know and having that sounding board, that person to to be supportive. But the sponsor in your career journey is the individual who does just that. Says, mm-hmm. "Have you talked to this person? Let me connect you." And making those connections are super valuable. Oh yeah, it, it's it reminds me when I was on the program and Leah Panganibon, who's who's my mentor, and yeah, definitely even after we you know graduated in a sense, we still are in connection with one another and working together on various projects still. But yeah, when Leah would say, "Hey, what do you think about you know what what are your goals for this year?" and it would be like, "Okay, I think I want to think about this or this or this," and then in her mind, she's already thinking, "Okay." Well, you can talk with this person or actually this would go to this advising community. So you might want to reach out to this person. So it really gave me like a path. So I I didn't feel like I was lost. But yes, once you have that information, then it is kind of on the the, the leader mentee to, okay, now that you have this information, take it from there and and run with it. Mm -hmm. And for anyone that is interested, um, you know, they might be thinking, okay, this still sounding good. What are the expectations uh, while they're in the program? Because I know like on the website, it says like two or like how Lee Cunningham will say two and a half years because there's like pre-work you got to do. But what are some of those expectations for, I guess, uh, for both a leader and and a mentor? Yeah. So the expectations, you know, willing to attend those monthly online meetings. Nakata, huge shout out to Nakata again, because Zoom and Zoom meetings were a, a thing before it became a thing, right? I I, I always, t- Lee Cunningham, I mean, God bless her, like she, I, I remember being on the advising communities, we were already doing Zoom meetings. And so some of my colleagues were like, what's the Zoom thing? How do you work it? <laughs> like, oh yeah, Nakata taught me how to do that a long time ago. So we do things in that virtual way. So Zoom meetings, attending the orientation sessions, as you mentioned, uh, attending the annual conference. Um, But then the other things are kind of up between the two individuals. So for individuals that how we structured it could be a structured Zoom meeting. And then if there was something quick that came up, you know, a little text or a little, you know, chat or something like that if something exciting happened but or or even if something didn't it, it wasn't exciting but you just wanted to share and then that sort of structured meetings were to help keep Danielle in this case like along her goal so her, what ELP uh, program will ask for what are your personal goals for the year as related to Nakata so it could be uh, I want to present at a uh, 
regional or, or annual conference. I want to be a member of an advising community or get onto a, a different uh, community uh, board position or, you know, whatever it is, I want to write, I want to publish something, whatever it is your personal goal. Those meetings were to help sort of stay on path, stay on path for those goals. Okay, nice. And, and of course, it's up to with between the mentor and, and mm -hmm. the emerging leader, um, how that schedule might work, because it might even be like, hey, we'll just call each other on the phone or text each other or right. send an email in and we're good. Right. As it, it, it could be as structured or as, you know, infrequent or flexible as those two individuals, it's not prescribed. Yeah. So what's the application process look like when someone's trying to apply for this program? Yeah. So to to apply for the program, obviously becoming a member of NACADA, as we mentioned, you, you basically should have at least, I think, two years. This is for the, the mentees. So at least two years of being a part of NACADA as a member demonstrated sort of some involvement in the association. But I think by that, it's just engaging in, it's not being a leader, of course, in the program, but just actively maybe attending regional or uh, annual conferences, um, must be able to articulate the goals of increasing your NACADA leadership and how that might be uh, a part of the program in the future, or how you think that being a part of it is going to help you in NACADA. I mean, we want to have a diverse representation of leaders within Nakata. So I think the end goal, whether it is in different paths, whether it's writing or whether it's a leadership roles on the board or, you know, um, whatever it is, individuals need to kind of uh, articulate how their participation in the program will support uh, Nakata's leadership in those diverse areas that we mentioned uh, in the future. And then, you know, agreeing to those that two-year period uh, or the total of two and a half years, as you said, which includes the preparatory work and then also that sort of leader-mentor pairing you know, connections, so which occur usually at the annual meetings. Yeah. And just because, you know, you've gone through the program, I've gone through the program, uh, mm -hmm. you as a mentor, me as an emerging leader, like someone might be listening like, okay, Maybe it sounded like a lot. It really, in, in a way, mm -hmm. it's not. Because when you kind of spread yep. it out over that two, two and a half years, it's it's like little homework assignments in a way some of the time. It's not a lot. And honestly, I we looked back, Danielle and I looked back and we met, you know, 25 times over the course of the program. Mm -hmm. But I feel like we could have done more, right? right? Yeah. I mean, we met everything that we needed to do, but yet I so enjoyed uh, talking with her that it, it, wasn't a lot. It really wasn't. And it was all the stuff that one was going to be doing anyway. Mm -hmm. But in a way, giving you agency and encouragement and support and and maybe also, like you said, paths, helping to to clear a little bit of paths too, or or at least to provide what direction the path needed to go to make it a little easier too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I will say I was able to balance it, you know, balance mm -hmm. my work. And I'm sure like every month and all of a sudden I get increased workloads and other priorities, yeah. but I was still able to balance my job at my institution along with the emerging leaders program 
because to me it went hand in hand and so definitely if you're listening really think about it and I guess with that one question that might come up from from uh, people and, and I know I had to ask my boss this too is how do I justify this to my supervisor you know when we're thinking like is this going to take you away from your job you know really it's not but how would any suggestions in your opinion on how someone could approach uh, their supervisor with wanting to apply for this program? It's a really great question because it comes up right in everyday life. I think I always circle back to what value will it bring to the department, to the organization as a whole. So thinking about being a part of a board or a uh, program like the Emerging Leaders Program, I would say that the um, lessons learned about who you are and and your own personal like strengths, but also having the network of individuals to also learn a little bit about best practices or about, you know, what other institutions are doing, having a cohort of individuals, because it's not just the mentor-mentee relationship. You also have this whole cohort of individuals that you then are almost like family with, right? You are meeting in a large group as well. So even if, you know, I'm doing um, some work with Billy, um, see for it, it, we were not paired, but we have a lot of the same passions and interests. And I, I think that that's an example of the opportunity to bring back knowledge to your own institution is really valuable. And hopefully um, that kind of resonates with supervisors. So I have a colleague that is on a local board. So different but similar uh, scenario. And one of the things that when uh, Bridget brought this to me was like, you know, this will be really good for contacts in the community, community engagement, you know, so bringing those sorts of here's my three things like that I think will be added value to our department. Yeah. And so if anyone's listening that you, you're struggling with, how do I push my supervisor? I would just say, take this little segment right now and then play that to your supervisor. And then it'll list everything in terms of all the good points of why you should be able to apply and how you'll still definitely be able to handle both your job and what you do in the Merging Leaders program. So I guess following that is when's the deadline to apply and what happens after that? Yeah. I So Okay, I have to look, but isn't it like March? So March, maybe mid-March, March 15th, 2022. So you could start writing stuff now and then get it in. Because I do think you need, it's a little bit of work, right? You have to get a recommendation or some some sorts of uh, references to, to apply. So I would say do it now, maybe over winter break, even <laughs> just yeah. get it all geared up and ready to go. And then I think that the the application period, January to March, and then the the kickoff um, would be at the Portland, Oregon conference. So that would be in October of 2022. And I think that what they have discovered is that you know, I 
the pandemic has in so many ways changed a lot of our work structures. One of which is we used to have this sort of speed round. You probably did that too, right? Yeah, that speed round where we went and chatted with people in a room and then they did the pairing. And I think now it's going to still be what they learned is that the actual doing it ahead of time Mm -hmm. in more virtual format was so much more valuable. So the pairings will occur in the summer leading up to the conference. Sorry. Could you say that again? Yeah. <laughs> that would be my phone, my, hey, my actually my Apple Watch. So hey, it, it's technology. It's, that's how, <laughs> funny story with that. So sometimes I'll be talking to someone on FaceTime and they'll be on uh, on their side. They're like, you know, hey, Siri, blah, 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 blah. And then uh, my phone's like, say that again. <laughs> yeah, that was just that I took, I don't even have my phone here, but I forgot I have a watch. Dang it. <laughs> oh, well, it's great. And on, on, on a funny note and something unexpected, but you roll with it. Right. So this is that, that- again, seatbelt buckle in, you never know what you're going to expect. <laughs> oh yeah. And I'm not editing this part out. This is going on the podcast. <laughs> Well, that this is me. This is really who I am. I, you know, have lots of little foibles in life, and that's just. <laughs> but we'll for sure include the link uh, to the Emerging Leaders Program website uh, in the show notes. So, you know, really take a look at it. Um, definitely think about applying. But like you're saying, you know, it's it's a, some of the questions that you get asked with the application. Really start thinking about how you're going to answer those. You know, because it's personal to you, and you want to be able to explain that for for the individuals that end up reading your application to decide if they accept you or not into the program. But it is a great job with reading the and then pairing. I I look back at our cohort and I think those pairings were amazing. They did such a nice job. And I mentioned Shannon uh, Burton. Well, her mentee was Drew um, Purdy, 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 yes. And those two theory talk crazy and and look at what both of them have gone and done uh and and again so they have a really great system in nakata if i could say that the emerging leader program matches are exceptional oh yeah a- another thing i i agree with and people are gonna be like you've agreed with everything that dana said it's it's true it is true but we've reached time for for the podcast recording and so i appreciate you being on again to get to know you a little bit better uh, and also just promoting the emerging leaders program you know again we wouldn't be talking about it unless it really does make a difference and it does so really think about applying and if anyone has any questions whether it's about you know uh career services or it's about emerging leaders program or getting involved um how can they reach out to you well I do have a email information on our website so they can find me on aquinas.edu and, you know, feel free to reach out or LinkedIn, send me a, a message via LinkedIn and I'm happy to connect. So whether it's through my aquinas.edu email or LinkedIn message, send me a note and I'd be happy to connect. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh my gosh. Thank you. It's been such a joy to talk with you, Matt. Oh, same here. Same here.
Thanks, Dana. It was wonderful getting to chat with you about careers, advice for advisors, and of course, the Nakata Emerging Leaders Program, something that's special for both of us. Check out the show notes for the link for more info about ELP or simply Google Nakata Emerging Leaders Program. And we have reached the end of the podcast. You know the drill. Subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on social media. And I truly hope 2022 is off to a great start for you. Take care. Keep advising. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Don't want a complication, complication.